we still have more things to get into on the ministry of the pastor. Of course, some of those things will overflow into the apostle and some of the other areas. But I sent a note around to um, uh, to you folks this week about the um, about the topic here today. Put it up on Facebook, and of all the times I've ever sent a note out to people about what was coming up on Sunday, this is the one I got the most response from. Fairly, I mean, for for uh, for what I normally get, it was kind of overwhelming. <laughs> I don't usually get more than a handful, but this one came through with a with a lot of uh, a lot of input. And one thing I heard, I think at least four or five times, was we were just talking about that this morning, <laughs> and about how to how to pray for our leaders and what to do. And I was amazed at how many of you folks were were in discussions on this in home. And I'll tell you, it's a couple of days, but one day in particular, I just couldn't get any work done. I keep trying to go out there and get some work done, and more stuff kept coming to me. Well, I just need to write this down. I don't want to forget it, so I write that down, and I try and get back out there again, and, and then more stuff would come, and pretty soon I just would well, forget that. I just pulled the computer up, so I had all my Bibles and everything else there, and just started writing writing stuff out. But there has been much going on in the area of opinions as to how we should pray for kings and all who are in authority. That's why we're going to spend some time here today. Now, the easy way to do this is, as a pastor, and you're talking about pastor's ministry, the easy way to do this is just let everybody in church pray any way they want to. And then some of you will be effective and some of you will be ineffective and just move on and not bother offending anybody. That's, that's the easy way to do it. I don't always choose the easy way. Nor does, uh, God does not always choose the easy way. And so he gave me some things in this. I don't want us to get lost in the political spectrum. Because if, if you get lost in the political spectrum, you miss what the Bible is saying. So this is how we're going to do this so that we don't get lost in what's going on politically and who are the good leaders and who are the bad leaders because we have probably different views on who the good leaders are and who the bad views are. And if you get lost on that, then you'll miss what the Bible is saying. And I don't want you to get lost on that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through the Old Testament. We're going to break these guys down into five different groups. And we're going to show how some of the people pray for some of these uh, people today and apply it to the, the folks in the Old Testament. And I want you to see how it fits. Now, it's up to you. You can take the leaders that we have today and you can put them in your own category. If you don't get God's, then you're not going to get God's God's results. You need to press into God and find out, is this one in this category, this category? We are not making good good and bad categories. This is the good one, this is the bad one. I initially came up with four. But then I had to insert a, a fifth one, and I'll show you where that is and who, who, which one that is. But I actually wrote them all out there for you. I don't usually do that. I usually make you write them down so you don't jump ahead on me. But I wrote them all out there. You got them all. And so we'll, we'll just get in there. But we're going to go back... And take a look in Israel's history where, I lead, where leadership was in question. There were plans that were drawn up. There were sides that were taken. And prayers were made. And this can teach us much about how we are to conduct ourselves today. So this is where we're going to spend some, some time. I want you folks to be armed with understanding that you can make decisions on how to pray for which leaders. 
We're going to start over here in Jeremiah chapter 29. We have read this scripture before, but I pulled this one out for a different purpose than what we looked at it for before. Let's go back in verse 1, see the whole context of this. Now these are the words of the letters that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive, to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah, the king, the queen mother, the eunuchs, the princes, the Judah, Jerusalem, craftsmen, smiths, had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamera, Gamaria, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus says the Lord of, Lord of hosts, God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat fruit, take wives and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. Then verse 7, And seek the peace of the city which I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. Now this is a purpose that God has given the people of Israel to pray for a heathen nation. They are in a heathen city. They are right now under Nebuchadnezzar. Now Nebuchadnezzar is not a straight up evil king. He is a king that God speaks favorably of. He speaks pretty well of him. He has certain purposes. He says, I have sent him. And then there's other times when Nebuchadnezzar has just uh, outright, outright disobeyed God and made golden images and um, burned people and, you know, just not some nice, nice stuff. So he's, he's kind of funny that way. But he says to them, Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Now, not all are in the same city. There are some different cities that they are in. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you nor listen to your dreams which you have which you have caused to be dreamed. Now, notice he says you caused to be dreamed, dreaming those things. You know, sometimes you can cause your own dream. Well, amen. I mean, it does say that, doesn't it? <laughs> sometimes people say, well, I had this dream. God must be doing this. No, you may have caused it yourself. Yes, indeed, you can cause your own dreams, apparently. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, we spent more time on verse 11 last time we were through this, but I wanted you to see verse 7. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. I don't want to just pull that verse out. I want you to see the the whole thing in, in context. Now, we know that we are exhorted to pray for authorities. How many know we're, we're supposed to pray for the people that are in rulership over us? But some of the things that go on in this area are very misunderstood from Scripture. If I am going to do what God wants, I have to understand what the Scriptures say. If I have a wrong understanding of the Scripture, no matter how noble the cause may seem, I'm not following God. I have to find out what is the Father telling me to do. 
And how is he to do it? This area here in Romans is a misunderstood scripture. And it looks like I did not copy that one over. Can I read that off the screen for me? So just keep them going because I'm just going to keep keep reading over there. We're going to read all, all seven verses, I believe. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. All right, stop right there. The authorities that exist are what? Appointed by God. Keep that in mind. Verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, and he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Verse 5. Therefore must be, therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Stay on that verse for just a minute. Are we to honor all rulers? That would be false. Reread that verse. Honor to whom honor is due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. How many rulers demand taxes? All of them. So I guess we got to give all of them the taxes. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. What he says here is we are not to honor all leaders. We are to honor the ones who are in a position to be honored. Not all leaders are in a position to be honored. We have to keep that in mind. This is what he said. Now go back to verse 1. I want you to see this, because we read over it, and you probably, if you missed the honor to whom honor, you probably missed this. Let every soul be subject to governing what? Is governing authorities a person? It is not a person. It is a governing authority. For there is no authority except from God. Are we still talking about governing authorities? Yes. We are not talking about rulers. Understand this. Let every soul be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. That does not mean that everyone who is in authority is of God or from God or that God has a plan for them. Amen. Please understand that. Amen. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. The authority that exists is appointed by God. But that role of authority can be inhabited by evil people. When an authority that God appointed is inhabited by an evil person. Are they due honor? They are not. When that authority goes against the authority of God, whom appointed them in that place, do we obey them? No. Because the only way that authorities have power 
according to the New Testament, what has been taught by Jesus and even others, is that the way that you have authoritative power is to be under the authority that puts you in. Remember the, the uh, man who comes to Jesus? I too am a man under authority. And I say that this one go and he goes and this one come and he comes. So if he was not under the authority of Rome, he would not have authority over the Roman soldiers. And if he acts up out of that authority in a wrong way, what happens to his authority? He is removed. Now, they've had soldiers, they've had people in the Roman army who acted up. And what did Rome do with them? They removed them. All right. The authority is established by God, but the ruler by man. Now, there are times that, that God chose certain ones, but but man put them into position. There's times that God shows, I want this one to be in the authority that I set up. I want David to be the king. But who put David into the kingship? Who put him there? Men. Because at first, not all men wanted to put him in that position. And so he was king over Judah for seven years. And then the other men, people, I mean men generally, uh, not a man, a woman, that kind of, not, not so <laughs> stuff, but. <laughs> not, not all that sort of thing. But, um, just, just men in general, just men, men, not man, male, just, if I say that, I try and correct myself once when I say people, but just understand, it's the people that are there that are putting them in power. People put rulers in power. Not necessarily God. Even when God said, this is the one I want, people still had to put them in. Now, we spent a few weeks on the pastor, and when we did that, we saw about the call. Who called a pastor? Who called an evangelist? Who called an apostle? God called them. Who put them in position? People. People did. Same thing here with this. God calls certain ones. He called David. He called Saul. He called Jeroboam. He called different ones to go into that position. And sometimes they stayed in the way they were supposed to go. And sometimes it did not. But there are other times that God didn't call anyone. And there were times in the history of, of Israel that people usurped the throne. Do you remember when we spent all that time? We ran through all those scriptures and I made you sit there through all, <laughs> all that. Did it for a reason. We went through all the kings of the north. Until we got to the end, and the end was filled with usurpers. People who just killed the one above them and took their position. Every single one of them was assassinated. Every single one of the northern kings who just decided on their own, I am going to kill the one in it and take the position. Every one was assassinated, except for the last one, because he was knocked out by the king of... of, uh, of uh, Assyria, and they took over the took over the land and deported them. There was a usurper. There were two usurpers in the southern kingdom, and both of them were executed. You will have a hard time finding somebody in the in the Word of God in the nation of Israel 
that usurped the throne in an unlawful manner that was not assassinated, was not taken out, was not killed. That's how God dealt with it. The authority is established is established by God, but the ruler by man. When I put this in your outline, you can fill it in here. When evil takes over what is good, when evil takes over what is good, God works to remove the evil. God may put something in and it's good, but when evil takes over, he looks to remove it. Jeroboam took over as good, but then became evil. What did God do? Worked to remove him. Solomon started out as good, but then turned evil. What did God look to do? Now here's one that will knock your socks off. Adam started out as good. Rebelled under the authority he was put and was removed. Adam was removed from the garden. He was not allowed to stay in. Saul and Jeroboam were also ones that started out with the, with the good, but they went evil and God re- removed them. Now, I got a verse of scripture in there. Did I actually want that one? Yep, we did. Okay. I'm thinking, I didn't think I was going to Genesis here today. Do I have Genesis in your outline? No. <laughs> I heard Daryl back there. No. <laughs> I didn't get ready for that one. Uh, I'll just read this one here to you. Genesis chapter 6, verse 4 through 6. There were giants on the earth in those days, and afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. You get anything from that passage of Scripture that when God sees men turn evil, he has any glory in them at all? Any gladness? Anything at all? No. God is not with evil men no matter what position they are in. When a minister turns bad, believers don't expect them to stay in their position, do they? You got a minister, let's say a pastor of a church, and this happens way too often. Pastor of a church decides to run off with the secretary. Carry on an affair with the secretary of the church or the, or somebody in the choir or, you know, we've heard all the different ones that have gone on before. This kind of stuff goes on. How many people in the church are praying for their pastor who has been found out he's in this? Oh, Lord, just bless him. Oh, Father God, I just pray that you bring good things about for that, for that, uh, man of God. Do we, do they do that? No, they generally have a lynch mob or something like that. They, they want to come out and they want to take the boy out. They do not want him in the church anymore. First Timothy 2, verse 1. My wife had put something up here on, on this verse of Scripture and... Let me just read this here for you. Therefore, I exert, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, 
for kings and for all who are in authority, that he may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Now, breaking down in the, in the prayer, we're not going to get into all the prayers. Can you make supplications for people that are unsaved? No. Cannot. I cannot pray for God to work in the life of someone who's unsaved to bring about good things, to bring about uh, blessings, financial, things like that, because they're not even saved. What do we pray for the unsaved? To get saved. And so for those, we generally brand the prayer as intercession, someone who's standing in the gap. All right, look at this. I therefore exert, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Can you pray supplications and intercessions for the same people? He's not talking about pray all these prayers for the same people. He's saying figure out which prayer you need to pray. Then pray that prayer. Some leaders you may need to intercede for. Some are in a position you can make supplication for. Some are in a position that you can give thanks for. But he's not saying that you make all those for each leader that we have. That brings the confusion in sometimes. And I think, well, I have to give thanks for this ruler. I do not. Not if they're going against the things of God. How many times in the Word of God did people, did God raise up people to stand up to different rulers? So much so that they got mad at them. Micaiah, remember, he's locked up. He got <laughs> King got mad at him. He just mad at him all the time. Just keep him locked up. I don't want to hear his stuff anymore. Jeremiah, how many people did he make mad at him? They threw him in a deep, dark dungeon. Took many men to be able to drag him out of that mud that he was in. For kings, verse 2, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Now, sometimes we think of authority and we always think of, you know, the, the head guy. We think president, we think king, we think whoever is at the, the lead. But he says, all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. Same thing as what was he saw in the Old Testament in Jeremiah, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life. Our prayers for rulers are to be done in such a way that the end goal is that we lead a quiet and peaceable life. Because in a quiet and peaceable life, the gospel can go further. It's easier for the gospel to be spread. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. Even rulers who are corrupt. Even rulers that have some semblance of good to them. Or seem to be leaning towards the bad side. Doesn't matter. He says he wants all to come to to a knowledge of truth. Now, those who would come against God's purpose in the past have faced the wrath of God, not His blessings, right? The people who came against the things of God, God didn't bless them. He came against them. You cannot pray blessings on someone God is against. If you do, what would this do towards God's attitude towards you? What would it do? We'd get a little upset, wouldn't we? Do you remember, the, I don't know if I have this in the in the notes later on to get into. But remember Samuel kept praying for Saul. God said, I've rejected him. And he's down there praying for him again. And God says, what are you doing? Go out there, anoint the one who's coming next. He's still over there lamenting and crying over Saul. Interceding is, is what he's doing. 
And God says, get up. I've already told you, I'm done that way. We're going over here now. You need to get moving. Sometimes we need to understand God has moved on from this leader. Doesn't mean they have to die. <laughs> Don't get that idea. It just means that uh, we need to move on from this. Now, in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15, this is the, uh, yeah, this is the, this is the scripture. Let's just go ahead and read it. Then Samuel went to, to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul over uh, king over Israel. So there was a likeness. Samuel liked, for some reason, it seemed that Samuel had an affection, liked Saul as a leader, or liked him as a person. Somehow there was some affection between Samuel and Saul. I don't always pick that up in their interactions. Because I see their interactions, he's very curt with them. Why did you disobey? Why did you do this? He's, he's very sharp with them. But it seems like that he, he has some great affection for them. Verse 1, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from, being, from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a... A heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? So Samuel saw a problem with him going to anoint a new king in that Saul is going to be watching me. He's going to be looking for where I'm going. So God gave him an excuse to use. He said, well, look, don't just go empty-handed. Take, you know, a little sacrifice with you and say you're doing this. This isn't the purpose, but you can say it. You can say that this is the purpose. They don't need to know what your real purpose is. You're on assignment for me. <laughs> God does not need to reveal all the things that he wants to do to everybody because some people won't handle it. Some people... We'll try and stop it. So he didn't come down to Herod and tell him about the birth of Jesus. Other people came in and told him about it. And then he went out to try and set, set up to, to stop it. Now, um, over in Second Samuel. Chapter 15, verse 12. Here's our story we alluded to before. We're not reading the whole thing. We're just reading the parts that have to do with what we're looking at here right now. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12, Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Why does Absalom grow strong? Is it because God is on his side? It is because of the people. People give power to rulers. That's the thing we have to understand. People give power to the rulers. God may appoint, but it is the people who give the power. So, this is the rebellion of Absalom against David. And he had gone to another place, lied to 
to his uh, father because he didn't want his father in on what he was doing because his father would have stopped it somehow. So he gave an excuse for why he was going away, just like we saw with Samuel. God gave Samuel an excuse for what he was doing to cover up what was actually going on. Absalom did exactly the same thing. The difference was God was doing something God ordained. Absalom was doing something not ordained of God. Now a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said to the king, We are your servants ready to do whatever my lord commands. So he knew if we stay here in the city, this is where they want to come. They want to get enough strength that they come here and they overrun the city. And if we stay here, then a fight is going to break out and people are going to die. So let's just extract ourselves. We'll let them come in. No one will die that way. And we'll, we'll go seek after God what we are supposed to do. But the people had already grown to such a number. Now we saw... We saw how Absalom had grown in the story that was going on before. He, of course, didn't like how his father had treated one of the sons, that he didn't judge one of the sons for a wrong that he had did. did. And so he got very mad. He was uh, uh, sent away from the kingdom because he murdered one of his brothers. Eventually he was let back in, but David didn't want anything to do with him. And so he just kind of, Absalom just went over by the gate and he started to uh, do things for people to give them the right words, just kind of said the right things, made everybody love them. And so when the time was right, after they had done this for a little while, then he went away to get the conspiracy going, and he calls for Ahithophel to come out there. Now, verse 31. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. Ahithophel is David's lead counsel. He is his lead counselor. He is the man that he would go to and they said if you went to him it was like hearing from God. He had an anointing on him to do this that he could, his wisdom was astounding. He could see things that were coming. He could tell you how to avoid it and it would work. He just was very anointed that way. Is Ahithophel a ruler? Real careful in answering this, aren't you? (laughs) I don't blame you. Yes, he is. He is in a rulership position. He is one of the men that empowers David. He is one of the men, most of the ways that David says, we need to handle this situation. Ahithophel, what should we do? Ahithophel would come in and say, this is how you should handle it. And then David would give the decree. David had a lot of people in power. He was not the only one. Ahithophel was one of them. But Ahithophel had counseled Absalom. He probably saw the bitterness that was in Absalom and he said, hey, we can do something with this. There's something we can work with. And so he began to cultivate Absalom and said, you know what? You should be king instead of David. David is unrighteous. David is not right. And they made up case for why David was evil. Ahithophel is not an unbeliever. He is a believer. He is, as far as we can tell, very strong on the things of God. He thinks that God has put his hand on Absalom and has left David. Now, if you're wondering, you understand why Absalom is bitter, the reason that Ahithophel is bitter is because of the incident with Bathsheba. He is actually the grandfather of Bathsheba. 
And when that whole thing went down with Bathsheba, he held a grudge. And he looked for an opportunity for when he could do it. And so he came up with the plan. And it's a pretty good plan too. So he came up with the plan and he found Absalom. And so he used Absalom. He's the descendant of David. And the, the throne can certainly come to him. And so he was working towards doing that. Bringing judgment on, on David, but preserving the house of David. That's what he wanted to go into to do. So when David was told, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. This is one of the, the best counselors that there is. And so here's how David prays. Oh Lord, bless him. I pray good things on him. Father, I just pray that you give him wisdom and knowledge and able to make right decisions. He didn't pray that way, did he? Mm-mm. He didn't pray that way for Absalom, did he? Uh-uh. But I'll guarantee you this. If you were able to go back in time, maybe we're in heaven, we get to do that. If not, we'll have to roll the videotape. But if we go back in time, I will guarantee you that you had people in the kingdom who were praying for the well-being of Absalom and people in the kingdom were praying for the well-being of David. I can guarantee you that you had prophets rise up and prophesy good things about the house of David that he would be restored and other prophets who rose up and said the hand of the Lord is on Absalom. Because doesn't the devil try and muddy any waters he gets into? He tries to stir up trouble wherever he can. So I will guarantee you, I cannot prove it by the word, but I can show you other times when this kind of thing was going on. And this is what happened. False prophets rose up to combat what the right prophets were saying. And there were people in confusion. And so some prayed one way and some prayed another. Now, we have the the ability here, and this is why I I think it's good to, to use something from the Old Testament, because we can look back on the Old Testament and we can figure out what side was God on. <laughs> he was on David's side. God was never on Absalom's side. God never inspired anything to empower Absalom. It was completely from the pit of hell. Satan's kingdom. You can kind of use that as a phrase, but he doesn't come out of hell, of course. But in, during this time, there's confusion. Is God still with David? Is God now with Absalom? And people don't know. We've got two rulers right now. There's David and there's Absalom. Who, who, do, who do we get behind? Who's God? Who's on God's side? Who's, who has God on their side? What's going on here? He says, David said, O Lord, I pray... Turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Now I want you to see some of the things he did not pray. He did not pray, Lord, let Ahithophel drop dead. <laughs> he didn't, he didn't pray that. How many of you would make that prayer if you were David? <laughs> and you got an Absalom rising up, he wants to kill you. How many are making a prayer like that? Father God, take him out. <laughs> take him out. But he didn't pray that. How about, how about this prayer? How many would like to make this prayer? Father God, make Ahithophel stupid. 
He didn't pray that either. Because he knows the anointing of God is on Ahithophel to do what he does. And I'll tell you what, as much as we think God ought to pull that back, he does not seem to pull back his anointing, even though people did stupid stuff. And went out there and got involved in, in wrong things. He does not pull back that anointing. He prays, Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. What that means is, when he says his wise words, let the people who hear it, hear it as foolishness. That's his prayer. That's a pretty doggone prayer right there. That is, I don't know that I would have the smarts that David has to make a prayer this good. I mean, and it's short too. It don't take up many words. It doesn't even take up a full verse. Oh Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. And then we're done. How many of you might be involved in prayer a little longer? We might be, you know, we might be there 15, 20, 30 minutes, an hour. We might be up all night praying for this thing. He just says this one prayer and he goes off. And that's it. Now what happened when David had come to the top of the mountain where he worshipped God. In fact, a lot of us would be still praying. He's over there worshipping God. He's already moved on to the next phase. We're already worshipping God. There was Hushai, the archite, coming to meet him with his robe torn, dust on his head. David said to him, If you go on with me, then you will become a burden to me. Isn't that great? I mean, David just has a way with words, right? Here's this guy, good friend, best one of his best friends, good friend of his. And here he comes, all broken up over the fact that David is being thrown out. And he comes running up to the top of the mountain. And he gets there. Oh, wait a minute. If you're going to go with me, man, I just, you're just going to hope, you're going to slow me down. I do not need what you are bringing to the table. But, if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I was your father's servant previously, so I will now also be your servant, then you may defeat the council of Ahithophel for me. He still knows the council of Ahithophel will be good. We got to get something in there that will counteract it. That will come against it. And do you not have Zadok and Abiathar, the priests there with you? Therefore it will be that whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall tell to Zadok and Abiathar the priest. And indeed, they have there with them their two sons, Ahimaz, Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son. And by them you shall send me everything you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, went into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. Don't have time for the rest of the story, but most of you already know this. How many do not know the story of Absalom? Anybody? All right. Everybody seems to, can't tell anybody from the, <laughs> from the Facebook. But we don't have to go through the, the full story on it here. But there was a situation that came up and Ahithophel gave counsel. And it was good counsel and they followed it. But then Hushai comes on the scene and they said, what shall we do? Shall we go after David now or shall we wait for a little bit and gather all Israel? And um, Ahithophel said, you're going to get him now. If you let him get entrenched somewhere, you're not going to fish him out. You're not going to be able to pull him out. You need to get out there. The people are tired. You need to get there and get them done. Get, take them out. Otherwise, it, it's over. And so Hushai said, well, you know, usually Hithophel is great counsel, but this isn't so good. Uh, no, no, no. What you need, you need to show everybody that you're king. And you need to get all Israel to come underneath you. And you need to lead them out in the battle. 
and engage because you know your father he's got he's got his band of men there and they're tough and you better have a good force to come against them and Absalom listened to both and he says you know the counsel of Hushai is better than the counsel of Ahithophel let's go on over there and do it when Ahithophel saw that he realized the hand of God is not on what we're doing and we will fail because up until then he thought the hand of God was on what he was doing he thought he was executing the plan of God to remove David and judge him for all his past sins. Then when he saw that, he said, obviously the hand of God is not on this. He went home, he got his house in order, and he killed himself. Because he'd rather kill himself than to face the execution that would come when David comes back into power. Because he knows at this point, David's coming back into power. I am on the wrong side. He doesn't like David. He doesn't like the things that he's done. But he, he realizes this is, this is not God. He knew no one would listen to him, I'm pretty sure. So he just went over there and he killed himself. You can read the rest of the chapter for that. In the history of the, the history books that we have here that um, Samuel tells us, do you find any signs in Absalom's history that he was ever for God? Do you ever find anything from the history of Absalom that God was ever for him? Nope. We never find anything in history that says, in, in all the chapters that covered Absalom, covered around Absalom, God never said, I like him. I want him to be the successor. There was never anything where Absalom pursued the things of God. Not a single time do we find that. But people around there decided that God was on his side without any evidence. And the hearts of many people went with Absalom. Just because you've got a whole lot of people who believe what you're going to do doesn't mean that God's behind it. Many times God has been on the side of a few. And he said the conspiracy grew strong for the people with Abs- Absalom continually increased in number. Well, the more, more people who went that way, there's pressure on other ones to go along. There's pressure on different ones. Which side are you on? Could you imagine if you were going through the streets of Judea, streets of Israel, and you go up to somebody, whose side are you on? You got an Absalom button or a David button? Which one you got? Let's see it. And there's, there's pressure there. And so more and more people were going in the way of pressure. And more people went with Absalom than David. Even though David had done nothing but help the country and did nothing but good for the country, this is where they were going. So the conspiracy grew strong for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. Now again, we said people put rulers into authority, authorities that God established. God established the authority of the kingship over Israel. But people put the king in the position. In 2 Timothy uh, 4 and verse 3, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. What you have is you have ministry positions, teachers, pastors, apostles, different ones like that, in which the people, because they would not endure what God wanted to say, would put other people in those positions because the people empowered the the person into the authority that God established. 
So people empowered certain teachers, certain pastors, certain people in the body of Christ who would do what they wanted and those people would empower them to inhabit a godly position. Can you see that? But God is not behind the people. He's behind the position. But now we've got different ones in Jesus and some of the things we saw just in the pastor's ministry. You saw they called them false shepherds. They didn't come in the right way. They, they did not enter in through the, the front gate. They came in around another way. People who don't come in the right way, these are not the legitimate shepherds. It's what he was t- telling you. Rulers have the same kind of thing. Well, if God is for all those in authority, if, if anybody who's in the position of authority, if God is for them just because they're in that position, then why does David do, and I wrote down four things, for which I had to pull out of your outline. But I gave you a little bit of space there. You can cram them in if, if you want to. If you don't care to, you can just uh, listen. But I, I just came up with four things that David did against this. And if God was behind all those in authority then certainly David shouldn't have been doing this. The first thing was, if God, if God was behind all those in authority, why does God, or why does David not stay in the city and die? He left the city because he was going to die. If he stayed there, other people would too. Why not? If, if God was in the new coming Absalom and had left the outgoing David, why not just stay in the city and die? Why make this prayer? Why make the prayer that he did about confusing the, uh, causing the, the counsel of Ahithophel to seem as foolishness? Why does he look to return? Doesn't David, in this, in his speech, look to return? He even says at one point, if God finds favor with me, I will return. Cause he's, at this point, he's not sure. Did God move from me to Absalom? He's wondering that himself. Because of the things that are going on. He would eventually get his answer and then he would stand up and fight. But he had to get that answer first. And that's why he's going away to get alone with God. And Hushai wanted to give him that time. Why does he send Hushai if he's not expecting to come back? If he doesn't still think that God wants him there? These are all things that, that go on. Because David is going against the, the incoming authority, isn't it? Absalom is the incoming authority. Now, can anybody, can one person pray a positive prayer for Absalom? You got the new guy coming in. Remember, he comes into town and everybody's all happy. And he comes in, he takes over the palace. And people could be saying, well, we got a new king now. We need to just pray for the new king. I'll bet you there's people out there making some very positive prayers for Absalom. And yet God is against them. God's not on his side. Can people, and maybe they have, prayed positive prayers for Ahab? Do you think that there were some God-fearing people in the land of Israel when Ahab was king and prayed positive prayers for Ahab? Now, there were times that Ahab repented. But could they have done so? Probably. Would they have been on God's side? How about Athaliah, the queen mother who usurped the throne and executed all the sons, 
so that there wouldn't be anyone. And of course, Josiah was stolen away. He was tucked away so that he wouldn't be found until they could raise him up. He's seven years old and they put him in position and took her out. But were people praying positive prayers for her? She usurped the throne. She had no right to it. She was not even a descendant of David. She was of the, she brought in the lineage of Ahab into the southern kingdom. How about Jehoiakim? How many know Jehoiakim? I bet you some people know his name. Do you know what he did? There's so many kings that came up in that time, it's hard to keep them all straight. And they all have these real similar sounding names. Jehoiachin, Jehoiakim. I mean, it's just, how do you want to keep them all straight? So I'm going to help you out here. Jehoiakim is the one that Jeremiah wrote out a prophecy that God had given, given against the land and against him. He wrote it out on the scroll and he sent it with somebody. And they sat down and they read it. And as he was reading what was on the scroll, the king would cut off the part that was reading and burned it in the fire. Until it was all burned. And so then God told Jeremiah, write it down again. Now, do you think there were people in the land who were praying positive prayers for this heathen king? How about Manasseh? He came after the reign of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had a great revival over the land. And Manasseh came to power. And he took Israel into some idolatry that God said, I didn't even think you would go this direction. Never imagined that you would go after some of these idols. People sacrificing their babies, killing their babies in worship to some of the ones that Manasseh brought in. It's horrendous what they did. Would people begin to pray? See, you can't pray good prayers for one like that. You could pray intercession. But God is not, if you look in history, God was not about, let's, uh, let's fix this ruler up so he can rule right. If you ruled wrong, what did God usually do? Man, we're taking you out. <laughs> He's taking you out of the position. If you come against the things of God, God comes against you. That's how it goes. It's been that way in the Old Testament. It was that way in the New Testament. If you come against the things of God, God will come against you. He doesn't come against evil people. How many of you wish God would come against evil people? My hand is up, in case you're wondering. My hand, I'm just just telling you, raise your hand. My hand is up. I wish God came against all evil people. I wish that he did, but he doesn't. But he does come against those who come against him. And he comes against those who come against his people. He defends them. That's what he has shown us through history. So that's what I know he will continue to do. What would happen to any positive prayers that some people prayed about those kings in the north, in the, in the north who assumed the throne? Those ones at the end there who just killed the, the previous one. Remember that you could kill the previous regime if God gave you an anointing to do it. Remember Jehu? He was anointed to take out the previous regime, Ahab's house. And he went after it with zeal. But that happened on the other ones too. Jeroboam's house was wiped out by Basha. He came out. He was, he was called. He was anointed to take out the house of Jeroboam. And he did it. But if you took out a house without the anointing, then generally death resulted for you. Even though it was an evil house. Isn't that odd? That's generally what happened.
So we got, you probably had some people making some positive prayers. Maybe they're just hopeful. Well, God, use them. Well, God, do this. Or, and, and God says, no, we're taking them out. We're, we are removing them. So what I did was I went through and I, I went through and got five groups. And I remember I told you I started with four and then I added a, a fifth one because I just, it just seemed like it needed it. But these are the four that came to me first. This is the, the first one. This is uh, the best, of course. Those called by God who seek after His will and are guided by His word. That is the best group that there is. There's no better. Now there's different levels of this, but they're in the same group. David, you would put in this group. Now here's a name you may not think about, but he is very much in this group of people. Jonathan. Jonathan is a ruler. Jonathan is a prince. He's in line for the throne. He has men under him. He is a ruler in that nation. He is not the king, but he is a ruler. And he is every bit in this. I think he might even be more in that category than David. The guy was incredibly upstanding. And God anointed him strongly. I put Jonathan in this group. Moses. He was not a king, but he was in a position of authority. How about Abner? That may not, may not jump out at you, but he's one of the, uh, one of the guys who was head of the army for the northern kingdom. And David wanted to take him and put him in charge of his army, and Joab didn't like being bumped aside. So Joab took him out. But Abner seemed very much to be uh, that type of a good guy in this, in this first category. He was a ruler. He was somebody who was over the army. That's a ruler. I don't know what other responsibilities he had, but we know that he was at least over the army. Many of David's men, his fighting men, were given positions of rulership in the kingdom. I would put them in this category. I don't know a whole lot about it, about each one. But I would say that many of those would go in here. How about Jehoiada the priest? Remember, Jehoiada is the one who saved Josiah from the queen mothers going around killing all the sons and raised him up in the things of God. And as long as Jehoiada the priest was around, I'm sorry, not Josiah, wrong, Jehoash, and as long as Jehoash had uh, him as his uh, mentor and teaching him, then he went the right way. But as soon as he died, he went the wrong way. So you can see that Jehoiada the priest had a rulership ability and was very much in this first category of the, of the best. Now you can keep on going. You can think of people yourself and put them in. The, this is just a small list of, I'm not trying to make the all-inclusive list. You can go out there and get some other ones. That's the first and the best. And if people are in that particular group, you're going to pray for them in a certain way. You do not need to make intercessions for that group. You can certainly give thanks and praise for the people in, in that group. I'm sure many of the people were, were giving thanks and praise for David and Jonathan. There were even some people giving thanks and praise for Moses, but there are other people who were not. The second group, those called by God to do good things, but seek their own good and purpose first, God's second. Now, you can write down some of these names. They may not jump out to you quite as easily as the first group. But I put in this group Nebuchadnezzar. Because he did have a purpose from God. He did seek after God at certain times, but then he also sought after his el- himself. He's the one who made the golden image, had the, the fire. 
I put Jehu in this because Jehu had a call from God to do certain things. He did a number of good things in the kingdom, but he sought his own too much and that led him down the wrong way. Solomon, he started out category one, but he moved down. He may have moved down further than this, but (laughs) he certainly moved down from where he was. How many remember Eli? The high priest. He sought after God. He was the high priest. But there were some things that he sought after for his own self. So much so that it stopped him from disciplining his boys and they were desecrating the worship of God. And he was judged for it. Samuel was given a word. I put Ahithophel into this category because Ahithophel did things he thought were God. But he sought after his own revenge and it blinded him from seeing the hand of God still on David. And so he went with Absalom. And that was not a good way to go. And he eventually went off and he he killed himself. And um, Jehoash, I already mentioned him, but he was he was very much after God. He turned the country around into the worship of God. But as soon as as soon as Jehoiada was killed, well, his heart was turned by the people that were around him. Well, you talked about that, that this, this whole thing you're talking about, the, you know, the deep state, the swamp, all that different ones that are out there. This is biblical because they were, they were just in hiding all this time. And as soon as Jehoiada was gone, they came out. And this is not the first time it's happened in Israel's history. They hid themselves all around the kingdom. And when they saw an opportunity, they came out and they pounced. And they pounced on him and they turned him so much that the man who preserved his life he eventually put all his sons to death. Can you imagine that? That's how much they turned. Because there are evil people in governments everywhere. Not just ours. Not just in this time in history. It has been this way all, all around. You can go into the Middle Ages. The Middle Ages had so much of this going on. I have a hard time studying it. I love history. I can't stand Middle Age history. I put it away. I, I don't like it. I don't want to read it. Uh, it there's so much darkness in that because of how much evil is all around and trying to influence the kings, the priests, the uh, whoever it is, whether they're religious leaders or secular leaders, it makes no difference. Now here's my third category. This is the one that I inserted because I couldn't find another place for this. But those who were called by God but forsook the call. Jeroboam forsook his call. Saul had a call from God, started out good, but then forsook the call and went in another another direction. Now, generally, you're going to take one of those people that's in that category and they're going to end up somewhere in the second, fourth, fifth, somewhere around there. But just just so you know, you kind of, I needed to create something for that. Fourth, those who do not love or seek God, but God can still use to accomplish some of his purpose, though not everything he desires. He can accomplish some things with them. They don't love God. They don't seek God. But God can still use them to accomplish His purpose. Just not everything. I'll give you some of the people here. I wrote in as a possibility, Ahab may actually have been in this one. Because there were some good things he did. As far as the kingdom was concerned, if you look at history and how it talks about Ahab and how it talks about his father Omri, they did some great things for the nation. 
They just didn't do so good for the spiritual conditions of the nation. But otherwise, they did some, some good things, and they made it a much stronger nation. But I, here's, the, here's the main guy I put in here, and then you can see this, Cyrus. Cyrus, he, this was not a, someone who loved God, sought after God. He had his idols that their nation worshipped. Maybe he'd add God in there among them. But God can still use them and accomplish some of his purpose, and he did in bringing Israel back to the land. I think that um, Joab falls into this category because I never see anything from Joab that shows me that he loves God or sought after God. He just was in a spiritual place of Israel and he had to have some sensitivity to the things of God to, or at least uh, outwardly, you know, talk about it so that people would respect him. But God still used him to, to accomplish some of his purpose. In, uh, in defeating the enemies of Israel. Joab was very good as a military leader. And God used, was able to use those, those skills that he had put him in, put there for some good things. But he was not able to accomplish all that he would have desired. Here's the fifth one. Those who have declared war on the things of God, they resist his leading and wisdom to pursue what brings themselves power and riches. They come directly against those who are called by his name and the things God has called good. They look to further the kingdom of darkness and hinder the kingdom of God. Some are blatantly out in the open about what they are doing, while others stay concealed, denying their association with all that is being accomplished. They don't pretend to be ministers of the gospel, but they are truly wolves disguised as sheep. I wrote down a number of names here. It's really easy to fill this one up. Go through the Word of God. Pharaoh. I think he's the poster boy for this. He is the poster boy for this. If you want to have a poster, you want to put up in your thing for someone who fit this, this is the guy. He came against the things of God. He came against the people of God. When God showed his strength, he came against the strength of God. He even was so bold as to go into the Red Sea after God parted it for his people and thought he could do that. I mean, you don't get much more against the things of God than Pharaoh. But here's another name for you, Herod. Herod in the New Testament came very much against the things of God. He tried at times to make it look like he was doing Israel a favor. In fact, Israel said, oh, look at all the good buildings that he built for us, but he wanted to destroy too much of what they had. And even when Messiah came along, he wanted to destroy him. Absalom I put in this category. Here's a name for you. See how, how well you do on Bible trivia. Doeg. How many know who Doeg is? Yeah. Doeg is a guy that when David went into the city after he fled from Saul to get the sword of Goliath and he ate the showbread, Doeg was in the city and David made note of it. He said, oh, there's, uh, there's Doeg. And they did what they were going to do and they left. And when Saul came in and said, hey, where is David? And no one wanted to answer. Doeg said, ah, uh, he was here. <laughs> yeah, they fed him. And they gave him the sword. And uh, so he wanted the priest executed. And the, the people that came with Saul, they wouldn't execute the priests. They knew that what he was saying, this is, this is wrong, we, we can't do this. And so he said, who will do it? And Doeg said, I'll do it. And he went out there and he killed them. 
And David made mention of it later on. He says, I knew when he was there. I knew that he was this kind of a guy. The last one I put in here was Queen Athaliah. She came against everything that was God. She killed all the sons of the royal house. She continued the adultery, idolatry and made it even worse. Well, those in positions of power and rulership who come against God or some just disobeyed, they were removed. We already talked about this one. Adam. You can just write down whatever names you want to. I couldn't put them all in your, in your outline for you. You can write down if you, if you want. Adam was one. God removed him from being a ruler over the garden and took him out of the garden. Balaam. He was a secular ruler. He was not a ruler among God's people, but he was a secular ruler. And he came against the things of God and he was taken out. He was killed. Moses was in a position of power and rulership, but because of his disobedience, he was removed. Isn't that what God said? Not to the degree other people had, and certainly some of us would say, but he only missed it one time. Aaron, in a position of power, he was the first high priest, and he did a lot of missing of God. And his office protected him. We spent some time on that in the past. And as soon as that office was removed and the cloak of the high priest was taken off, it just says he died. Eli was removed because of his disobedience. Judgment was pronounced upon him through Samuel. That was his first word of prophecy that he received. Saul was removed from the rulership because of the uh, rebellion he had against the things of God. Jeroboam was taken out of his rulership position because of his disobedience to God, and the unnamed prophet who spoke against him lost his life because he disobeyed the things of God. Herod lost his life because of how he came against the things of God. You can just keep on going with this list. That when people went against the things of God, God did take them out. Now some he just took out of their position, other ones he actually took out. Even certain heathen kings were prophesied against for what they did against God or his people and they were removed. Ezekiel, we went through that. We saw a number of heathen kings that were talked about and they were removed because of what they did against God or what they did against his people. Now, I'll put this in your outline for you. You can write this in if you want. I cannot pray for the blessings of a leader in position to be removed. I cannot pray for the blessings of a leader in position to be removed. If that person has done things that would cause them to be removed by what the Word of God says, I cannot stand there and say, well, God, just bless them. God, just use them. Now, remember how we started this and what we said the ultimate purpose was for praying for a reader. We're going to get to that. I... um, Oh, yeah, i got one more thing for you. If I do, there's a long write-in one if you want to. If I do, I cause my prayers to be powerless, praying my own heart instead of the heart of God. I would be doing exactly what Samuel had done. I am praying my own heart instead of the heart of God. I am not in a place that I can do that as a believer. I should not be in a place where I would want to walk that way. If I do, I cause my prayers to be powerless, praying my own heart instead of the heart of God. Now, I threw this question here out there at the end, 
because there are all kinds of people, you know, that we see different prophecies go this way, prophecies go this way, but some of them don't, don't occur. Can a prophet of God give a word that doesn't come about? Now, a prophet was asked, a prophecy was given, and I want you to take a look at the results. In 2 Kings chapter 8, in verse 7, Then Elisha went to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, was sick, and it was told him, saying, The man of God has come here. And the king said, now, my first question, whenever I get to heaven and I see him, I said, why were you going to Damascus? I don't know. He's not a prophet to them. He's a prophet to, to Israel. But he was going to Damascus, so I imagine that God sent him. Now, he was supposed to be anointing Hazael, and maybe he was just on a trip to anoint Hazael, but on his way, the man of God came here. And the king said to Hazael, take a present in your hand and go to meet the man of God. And inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? So Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camel loads. And he came and stood before him and said, 40 camel loads of good things from Damascus because they have a question for you. How many want to get in that business? <laughs> Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? And Elisha said to him, Go say to him, You shall certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Verse 11, Then he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. And Isaiah said, Why is my Lord weeping? He he answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their stronghold you will set on fire. Their young men you will kill with the sword. And you will dash their children and rip open their woman, the woman with child. So Hazael said, But what is your servant, a dog, that he should do this gross thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. And then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he said, he told me you would surely recover. Isn't that what the prophet said? The prophet said, you will surely recover. But the Lord has shown me that you will die. So the word, go say to him, you shall certainly recover. He's saying this in the name of the Lord. Who told him that he would recover? It would have to be God, right? God would have tried to tell him, you will recover. But, he says, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Now, remember, we told you, prophets receive things two different ways. One, they hear what God says and they say it. And two, they see what God shows them and they describe it. So here's what you got in this instance. He heard what God said, he shall recover. That's what God said. But then he showed him something else. Huh. Ready to go on to the next verse? Don't, don't get it up there. How many do not know what the next verse is? All right, good. I've thought of this verse for, this passage for weeks and I kept thinking, well, we're going to get into this, we're going to, and we haven't yet. So we left off in 14, verse 15. But it happened on the next day that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face so that he died and Hazael reigned in his place. So here's what the prophecy was. The word that he got was, you shall recover. Did he recover? No. He died. The thing is, he would recover from the disease. But he will die. So what happened was, he wasn't given time to recover. Because Hazael killed him. 
Now, that's a pretty complete prophecy, isn't it? You will recover from the disease, but you will die. Now, when Hazael came and presented the word, that all he said was, he said you'll recover. Oh, good. <laughs> he probably realized, I know that if Elisha said it, I'm going to get better. And he would have gotten better. He would have recovered from that. But Hazael knew he's going to recover. If I want to take his position, I got to get him now while he is lying down and, and indisposed. So this is my opportunity. So he believes the word of the prophet that he will recover. If he doubted the word of the prophet, he would not have killed him. He just died on his own. And instead he took him out. There are times that God says, this is how it will be. This is how I want it to be. But then people can step in. Now, God knows people are going to be stepping in. And here was a prophet who knew how to hear both sides of that. I think not everybody gets to see that. Now, if our stated goal from Scripture is to pray for the peace of the place we are, then we need prayers along that line, not ones that just bless whoever's in power. If I'm just going out there praying, well, God, just bless this person. Well, God, just give him wisdom. Well, God, just do this. If, if I have a king, if I have a ruler, if I have someone over me who has shown a propensity to disobey God, to not believe God, not do the things of God. I am stupid if I sit there and pray, well, God, have them do what you want them to do. Because if God doesn't make you get born again, then why in the world is he going to make somebody make a decision like that? If God has shown that I don't make people decide to get born again, which is what he wants them to do. He desires all men to get saved. If I, if he won't do that, then why is he going to make some king make a decision in a certain way? He would not, he let the kings make their own decision. All those kings we looked at, all the ones in different categories, he let them make their own decision. They made a decision. Pharaoh made his own decision to go against the things of God. God tried to encourage them. Look, don't mess with me. <laughs> you will get hurt if you mess with me. I'm telling you, don't mess with me. You know, it's like one of those guys who's a master at karate or whatever those things are. And you, you go in there and you think you're going to take him out and you try and slap him around a little bit. And he stops everything you're going to do and says, look, don't mess with me. And then you come after him with something a little bit stronger and he stops that. And he says, look, I'm telling you, don't mess with me. I don't want to have to hurt you. And, you know, they come after him again. And then what happens? You know, they put, I think usually when, with people, three times is about it. God did a lot more with Pharaoh. He gave him an opportunity to, to decide not to. Now, here's, here's the thing I want you to do. You can write these down, not write these down, whatever you want to do. Was Herod a problem for the peace in the city? Was King Herod a problem for the peace of Jerusalem? Yes, he was. What did God do? He removed him. Was Nebuchadnezzar a help for the peace of his people? Remember, God sent him. Remember, God sent him and told him, take them captive, take them back to your land. And then once they were back in there, he says, now, dwell there. You're safe here. Was Nebuchadnezzar a help for the peace of Jerusalem? Yes, he was. God blessed him. 
He empowered him. He used him. Was Pharaoh a problem for the peace of his people? We're talking about the Pharaoh of Exodus. He was. What did God do? He plagued him. He made war against him. Was Cyrus a help for the peace of God's people? Yes. And God prospered him. See, here's the key. We always want to look at, is this ruler born again or not? Is this ruler doing the things that God says or not? And that is not the question to ask. Is this ruler doing the things that bring peace for his people? Is this ruler doing things that pave the way to allow the gospel to be spread? Those are the things we ought to be asking. If the ruler that is in charge comes against the things of God, God will come against them. I don't care how many many Christian people pray for him, God will come against them. And if you decide to side with that ruler and pray for him, you have hindered your own prayers because you do not understand the heart of God, nor will you pray the heart of God, you will pray your own heart. That's a testimony you're making before God. Don't do it. Be like Samuel. <laughs> when God said, get up, he did. Be like Samuel. Don't keep mourning for the things that God has said. I've moved on from that. I had anointed Saul, but look, he, he decided to go a different direction. We're moving on from that. Look for the peace. Can you pull up our Jeremiah 29, verse 7? Up again. Jeremiah exhorted his people to pray for the leaders in this way. And make sure that you pray what God says. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. They were carried away captive. That's why he phrases it there. You can basically look at it, the city within, with where you live. And pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. So this may mean, as we pray for the peace of where we are, Father God, this ruler is stirring up trouble. I thank you that you will replace them. This ruler is doing the things for peace. Thank you, Father God, for helping them in the things that they're doing. I can have a ruler who is for God or not for God, but may still do the things of God. Cyrus was a great example of that. He is not the only one. There are other ones. Pray for the peace of where we are. For some of the people that we're praying for, we need to make intercessions. For some of those people, we need to make supplications. For some of those people, we need to make prayers other ways. But we use all the different things that are available to us to pray. But I first off have to take the ruler, and this country doesn't have one ruler, we have many. And I've made no bones about what side of the things I'm on. On these, I don't try and make it every single week because I'm not here to promote um, uh, political truth. I'm here to promote the Bible. And that's my, my job. I sometimes will show it to you how it, how it is in the political arena. But my role is to make sure that you understand Bible truth. And then you take that and apply it to where we are here today. So you take a look at the rulers that we have. Which ones are for the things of God? Which ones actively pursue the things of God and which ones come against the things of God? 
If they are coming against the things of God, I will not side with them or will I side with them in my prayers? Because I will be among those, like Moses said, get away from them. <laughs> get away from them. I will get away. Father God, take them out. I don't know how he's going to do it. He can do it whatever way he wants to do. But I let him, I let him fight his battles. If they pick a fight with God, they pick the fight with the wrong one. I can't let God take care of this, his battles. But when you are praying, pray the heart of God, not your own heart. So important to get this down. If God is against a ruler, do not pray like God is on his side or her. Now, I throw out some of them to you because I think, you know, the ones I throw out to you, I think are pretty generic. Everybody can pretty much see the evil that is in this. I know there's some people who don't. But I try and pick the names of those that I think are pretty blatant. Nancy Pelosi, for me, is just as evil of a leader. I don't care what letter is after her name. I don't care if she was independent. I don't care if she was free of any political party. That woman is the most evil woman I have seen in political circles. And the evil that she has done against people. I'm as opposed to her as I can possibly be. But there's other ones as, as well. And I can start naming you. I can name people with a D after the name and I can name people with an R after the name that I am just as much against because of the evil and because they have set their face against the things of God. The only thing that will get me to pray positively for a ruler is if they are positively on the side of God. If not, I'm going to be putting them in one of those other categories and my prayers for them changed based on what category I put them in. Because not everybody is sensitive to do the things of God. I cannot ever pray, God, just use them to do the right thing. They will not do the right thing if they don't believe it. Because God does not make people do the right thing. Even when other people are benefited. That is not how he does. Find me in the Old Testament where he made somebody do something. If he didn't make Pharaoh, let his people go and brought all the destruction in there, He's not going to do it other, other ways either. I need to find out what side is God on? Who is on God's side? And I pray for leaders in regards to that. And if they continually do things against the things of God, I don't pray for Nancy Pelosi's reform, reformation so that she can continue to go on and do what she's doing right. I pray for her removal. I don't mean removal from the earth. That's up to God. I mean removal from office. I want to see her gone out of that office. As the Word of God says, let another take their place. <laughs> there is a verse of Scripture about that. But somebody else should come on in and take their, take their place. No telling that the new person is going to be any better or worse. That can be. But I know what's in there is evil and is bad. And right now, people that have been evil in our country have not had to pay a price. And one of my prayers that I pray is those that have done evil, those that have conspired and gone against the things of good people, May they be exposed and may they be brought to justice. And I don't care what letter comes after their name. I don't care what position they are in. I don't even care what it is that they have done. If they have come against good people and they have come against God's people, they need to be brought to justice. And I will continue to pray along those lines. But here's our goal. We pray for the peace. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be. Carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace... You will have peace. There are some people who will do whatever they can to bring not, not peace. 
And I will pray and stand against them in every which way that I can. That that, that which they are trying to accomplish will not flourish and will not prosper. Father, do not prosper the work of their hands. For their hands are bent to evil and their feet run swiftly to it. Father, bring your justice down upon them and may what they have done in the secret places may be brought out to the light. And what was done in darkness may be made known for all to see. That justice will come to their house and that they shall never do this to another again. I pray along those lines. You can join me if you want. Would you all stand up with me? Well, just one week I wanted to spend on this. Like I said, it was it was buzzing around me like I haven't had something buzzing around me in a long time. And I, like I told you, I blame all you folks for it. But um, it's, it's, uh, it's important that we pray for our leaders, but it's important that we pray in a correct manner. So make sure that you pray according to the, the ways that God would have us to, to do so. And God will... God will be able to answer those prayers. If you pray against the will of God, as Brother Hagin would tell us over and over, you may as well just say, twinkle, twinkle, little star. It'll do just as much good. I don't give any thought to people who want to pray against the things of God. Go right ahead. It's not going to do any good at all. I'm not afraid of your prayers. What do I think that God's somebody going to stumble upon? Oh, look at this, this person. Well, I guess we got to do it. Uh-uh. That's not our God. We got to find what that what the heart of God is, pray along those lines. And God works through the prayers of his people. He needs us to pray. But if I'm not praying in line with the heart of God, God that's not going to ignite the power of God. It's just a useless prayer that we're making. Don't need to be doing that. Father, I thank you that you will continue to work in this nation. We've had rulers come that are evil. We've had rulers come that are good. We've had rulers come that allow you to use them and rulers who work against what you want to do. We've had rulers that open themselves up for the kingdom of darkness to work through and others who just don't know a whole lot about the kingdom of light. Father, you've shown us through all the things in the word of God that you can use leaders no matter where they are. If they will submit they will humble themselves before you. You can use them for good things. But if they've sold themselves to evil, as we've heard many in the Old Testament were described by the word, then evil is what will come down upon them. But thank you, Father. When we align ourselves with the good, when we stay on the side of God, that evil will not befall us. But if we decide to participate and to align ourselves with those that are evil, then what comes down upon them will also come down upon us. How many times we've seen that in the prophets and in the history of Israel, those who aligned themselves with the evil came under the same punishment of the evil. But Father, you've given us wisdom. You've given us knowledge and understanding, and I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.